Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. Well, I don't know about you, but I can never remember a time when we have been surrounded by so much noise. I mean, if it wasn't bad enough that we suffer from information overload and media bias, fake news, conspiracy theories, and unfiltered opinions, we also have to put up with robocalling, email spamming, Twitter ranting, cyberbullying, social media influencing, and Facebook trolling, all of which bangs around incessantly in echo chambers we've created for ourselves. And the end result is that we probably have a generation of people who, because they don't know what to believe anymore, are ready to believe just about anything. And truth, I mean, who even knows what truth is anymore? And so in today's society, you've got your truth and I've got my truth and he has his truth and she has her truth. If ever there was a time when we needed a way to cut through all the noise and find a little sanity, it's now. And believe it or not, though he didn't have social media and the internet to contend with, apparently the Apostle Paul felt a lot the same way. In both of his letters to his young colleague, Timothy, Paul has worried about the incessant influence of false teachers of various kinds and has urged Timothy to stand up to them. This was a prominent theme in his first letter. At least five different times Paul talks about this in his first letter to Timothy. And apparently, in spite of Timothy's best efforts, the problem hasn't gone away. In fact, some of the same people are still at it teaching errors, starting arguments, uh, quarreling about words, speculating about things they have no business speculating, confusing many, and worst of all, leading some away from the faith. And now several years after his first letter, in this second letter, in which Paul appears to be passing the baton to Timothy because Paul knows his time is short, he encourages Timothy to renew the fight and tells him, how he can cut through all the noise of his time in hopes of leading people to the truth. Now, this instruction is especially applicable to pastors, but we would all do well to pay attention to what Paul has to say to Timothy because rather than have us contribute to all the, the noise and confusion around us, I believe that God wants to use us. God wants to use his people to cut through the noise of our times so that people can hear the truth. Now, here in the last half of 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul shows us three identities we must embrace. There are kind of three word pictures here, and each one represents an identity that we as believers need to embrace if we're to be useful to God in cutting through the noise of our times. The first identity that we find in this passage, the first word picture, is that of a workman. Paul's point here is being an approved workman who handles Scripture well. 
you're going to cut through the noise of your times. You've got to be an approved workman who handles Scripture well. It says in verse 14, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Paul has just encouraged Timothy in the first part of the chapter to to help his people understand the importance of being willing to suffer for Jesus the way a soldier would, the way an athlete would, the way a farmer would. And, And he's to keep reminding his people of this and the reward that will be theirs if they do. And he's also then to charge them before God not to quarrel about words. Literally, they are not to wage word battles for nothing useful. Five times in his first letter, Paul urged Timothy, warned him about the danger of those who who like to quarrel about words, who stir up controversies and speculate about things that don't really matter. That kind of stuff only distracts you from from the most important things, namely the gospel, and it messes up those who get sucked in by that teaching. I think, for instance, about people today. You hear them preaching on TikTok, literal preachers who go on places like TikTok arguing that words in the Bible don't mean what we've always been led to believe they mean, and so justifying all manner of behavior that the church has historically taught as sinful. They quarrel about words in order to justify their sin and in the process lead others astray. And Paul's saying, don't add to all that noise. Don't be among those word quarrelers. Don't add to that noise. Instead, here's how you cut through it. Verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. I could preach a whole sermon on this one verse. In fact, I think I will when we pass the baton and install my successor as the next lead pastor. My whole 300-plus page doctoral project was based on the teaching of this verse. But Paul's point here is that Timothy can cut through all that noise and quarreling stirred up by false teachers if he will commit himself before God to handle the Word of God in a very straightforward way. If you want God to approve your work, if you want God to approve your sermon, your, the lesson that you teach, or just the conversation that you have If you want God to approve your work, if you want to be able to present your work to God as as one who doesn't need to be ashamed, you can do that literally by cutting a straight path through the word of truth. That's what that word means. It means to cut a straight path, to, to cut a straight road. That means don't add to it, don't subtract from it, don't embellish it or speculate about it, don't sugarcoat it, but don't water it down. Don't turn to the left or turn to the right. Just give it to folks straight up. Stick to what it says. In a very workmanlike way, the way a farmer would plow a straight furrow in his field from point A to point B, the way a carpenter should cut a straight line through that piece of wood, stay true to the word. Don't deviate from the sound words of the Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, as Paul put it in 1 Timothy 6. This means, for instance, that when we gather for a Bible study, we don't just read a text and then say, well, what does this mean to you? Well, what it means to me is this. What does it mean to you? Oh, well, to me it means this. And to the other person it means that. 
No, it doesn't really matter what it means to you. What it matters is what it meant when Paul wrote it to Timothy in its context. And so we study it in its context to get the most straightforward meaning of it, and then we can start asking questions like, well, what does this teach us about God? What does this teach us about his ways and what he wants for his people? And only then can we get around to saying, all right, now how do we apply that to our lives? What should we do with that? That's what we try to model for you every Sunday from this pulpit. Stay close to the text. As my pastor, Bruce Strickland, used to say to us, frequently, he would say, never believe anything that you hear from this pulpit unless you can see it in the Word of God. Or as one of my seminary professors, Walter Kaiser, would put it, when you preach, you should always keep one finger on the text so people can see for themselves where you're getting it. By the way, that's why we put the words on the screen. Uh, not because we don't want you to carry your Bibles. We do. But we put the words on the screen so that you can see it as we preach it where we're getting this stuff. If we're going to cut through the noise of our times and lead people to the truth... We've got to be workmen who know how to cut a straight line, or like a plowman who plows a straight furrow, rightly handling the word of truth. Now, some of us have ex received extensive training to do that, but you don't have to have a seminary degree to be an approved workman who handles the scriptures well. You can get started by getting into the Bible yourself on a daily basis. Become familiar with what's between the covers of this book. Study it. Get a good study Bible like the ESV study Bible or the NIV study Bible. They have tremendous study helps to help you understand some of the things that you're reading and maybe you find hard to understand. Memorize key scripture verses. You see, a workman has to get well acquainted with his tools if he's going to cut straight. And a Christian needs to be well acquainted with the Word of God if he's going to be able to or she's going to be able to cut through the noise of our times and stand firmly on what is true. So become skilled in handling the scriptures well. And don't swallow all the junk food that people are trying to make you swallow. Look at verse 16 where he says, but avoid irreverent babble. In contrast to the word of truth, avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Boy, do people love to spread irreverent babble these days. Avoiding irreverent babble these days is going to require us to make a choice. Will we allow our thoughts and opinions to be driven by what we're gobbling up on social media that typically trains us to be suspicious and hateful? Or will we allow our lives to be governed instead by a steady intake of God's word for our lives? I told you a few months ago about a guy I see once a year for about 30 minutes or so. And every year it's the same thing. All he wants to talk about is end times prophecy, the Antichrist, and how the Jews are behind everything going on in the world today. His mouth runs with irreverent babbling from the moment I see him to the moment he leaves. And he seems impervious to my attempts to point him to Jesus. He says, oh, I've, I've done my research, and I really know what's going on. And what he means by that is he's watched a whole bunch of videos on YouTube with, made by people who agree with him. That's what passes for research these days. And that kind of babbling is epidemic, even among Christians who get drawn into all kinds of unnecessary arguments. And the more wind we spend speculating about such things, the less opportunity there is to point people to the truth of the gospel. 
I wonder from our online presence how many people know what we are against versus how many people know what we're actually for. He says, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. It spreads like wildfire. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, and now he gets down to naming names. Hymenaeus was called out by name in 1 Timothy chapter uh, in First Timothy, along with another guy named Alexander. And I don't know what happened to Alexander. Maybe he got a clue and stopped doing false teaching. But Hymenaeus is still at it. Now he's got a new partner in crime named Philetus. And what, what's the problem with them? Paul says of them in verse 18, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. Notice how, you know, Timothy is encouraged to cut a straight path through the word of truth. In contrast to them, Hymenaeus and Philetus have swerved from the truth. Uh, they have gone off course. When it comes to handling the word of God, they failed to cut straight. The, the furrow they're plowing is way off course. They're wandering into speculation about the resurrection that's off the mark. Instead of affirming what the apostles clearly taught, that a resurrection day is coming when we will be raised bodily from the dead, they have put a new twist on things, saying, no, the resurrection's already happened. Now, you can understand how that would have been upsetting to the faith of some, right? I mean, when you've been taught all along that Jesus is coming again, and on that day, the dead in Christ will be raised to new life, and somebody says, ah, no, nah, that's already happened. You're likely to say, oh no, did I miss out? Uh, what's the point of following Jesus? Because Paul himself said in 1 Corinthians 15, if the dead are not raised and Christ is not raised, if Christ is not raised, you're still in your sins. Your faith is in vain. So it's not hard to understand why the faith of some is being shaken by these guys. Now, why were they saying that? We don't know for sure why Hymenaeus and Philetus were teaching that the resurrection had already happened. But if I don't miss my guess, I think they were just being politically correct. Kind of like how many pastors today let their interpretation of the scriptures be shaped by the currents of culture. Like the Presbyterian pastor who recently was out there on social media preaching that she had had two abortions for which she was thankful and didn't feel guilty at all because she had done so at the direction of the Holy Spirit and that people like us who would question that have a toxic theology. The culture says it's the right thing to do, so we, we bend the scriptures to the whims of culture instead of the scripture speaking to the uh, truth to the culture. Now, in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus, it was likely that they were responding, again, to the, the currents of their culture, a Greek culture that they were surrounded with that basically had a disdain for the physical body. And, and so the ideal for the Greeks was... For the spirit, the spirit's good, the body's bad. So you want your spirit to be liberated from the prison house of your body and the, and the material world. And so if you want to be liberated from this body, why would you want it back? Why would a resurrection be desirable? And so to make the gospel palatable to that society, Hymenaeus and Philetus were likely saying, Oh, well, when Jesus talked about a resurrection, he must have only been talking about a spiritual resurrection of, of what happens when you become a Christian. You die spiritually to the old life, you're raised spiritually to a new life in Christ, and in, in that sense, the resurrection has already happened, so don't expect there to be another, an actual literal bodily resurrection. You see, the irreverent babbling 
of guys like Hymenaeus and Philetus, who are only trying to be politically correct, is upsetting the faith of some. It's, it's literally shaking the faith of some believers. But by straightforwardly teaching the truth, Timothy can cut through the noise and give his people a firm foundation for the faith. And so it says in verse 19, but God's firm foundation stands. These guys are shaking people up, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing the seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Paul draws from two Old Testament texts here to encourage Timothy as an approved workman. By rightly handling the word of truth, he will cut through the noise of that culture-driven false teaching and give his people a firm foundation of the faith. The Lord knows those who are his, who have by faith laid hold of the truth. And those who call him Lord need to leave behind the kind of quarreling that Hymenaeus and Philetus are, are engaged in, distorting the straightforward truth of God's word, his firm foundation causing the faith of some to be shaken. God wants to use us, his people, to cut through the noise of our time so that people can hear the truth. And so he says to Timothy, to do that, you need to embrace the identity of a workman, be an approved workman who handles the scripture well. Now, there's a second identity to embrace. And this one is the word picture of a clean vessel. The message here is be a clean vessel ready for the master's use. Be an approved workman who handles the scripture well and be a clean vessel ready for the master's use. In this battle for the truth, it's not only important to get the message right, but to get the messenger right. A beautiful message served up in an ugly container is not going to be received very well. Nobody wants gourmet food served to them in a garbage can. There's no shortage of ugly people spewing messages these days on social media, sometimes even true messages, but the way they get spewed makes them unattractive and ineffective. Paul is telling Timothy, if you want God to use you to cut through the noise of the day and help people come to a knowledge of the truth, then you need to be sure that you are a clean vessel ready for the master himself to take up and use whenever called upon. Now that picture is painted for us in verse 20 where it says, now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. In God's great house, I think he's talking here about the visible church, there are some who are like gold and silver vessels for honorable use. They're the gold goblets, the fine china plates, the, the best silverware that you bring out for your honored guests for your most important celebrations. And then there are the other vessels, wood and clay, that you would never bring out of the kitchen, vessels fit only for less honorable functions. They're like the garbage pails and the chamber pots used to take out the trash and worse. If you want to be a vessel the Lord of the house would take up in his hands, ready for him to use, you need to be an honorable vessel, not a dishonorable one. And the way to ensure that you're an honorable vessel is to cleanse yourself from what is dishonorable. He says in verse 21, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Now, maybe that when Paul says, you know, to cleanse oneself from what is dishonorable, 
that he may mean to separate yourself from those dishonorable people who seem bent on behaving like garbage pails and chamber pots. For those folks like Hymenaeus and Philetus who seem bent on stirring people up and starting quarrels. Those folks who profess faith in Christ but who spend their time on social media preaching all kinds of nonsense and turning people off to Jesus. Paul may be saying, disassociate yourself from such people so that when the master wants to use you to communicate the truth, you'll be seen in a more honorable, more, uh, a more credible light. But it's even more likely that Paul's not saying just disassociate yourself from dishonorable people, but you need to cleanse your life of those things that displease the Lord, those things that would stand in your way of your ability to serve him with credibility and and, and honor. So he says in verse 22, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. If you want to be an honorable vessel, cleansed and ready for the master to use, the way you do that is to detach yourself from what is evil and attach yourself to what is good. Flee youthful passions a man caught up in his youthful passions isn't likely to be available to be useful to the Lord. Youthful passions here may have to do with the sensual temptations that younger people are susceptible to, but it probably also includes the faults of character that young men are apt to display. Things like partiality toward people who are most like themselves, intolerance of people who are different, quickness to display one's temper and insist on having one's own way, get as far away from those youthful tendencies as possible, which might again have to do with the company you keep, whether in person or online. Hang out with such folks and you're more likely to act like them. So instead, pursue the opposite virtues that will make you a fit vessel for the master to use. Righteousness, a state of heart and mind that's in harmony with God and his ways. Faith, a humble and dynamic confidence in God. Love, a deep personal affection for one's brothers and sisters in Christ and even for one's enemies. Peace, a deep sense of well-being that comes from being right with God, with others and oneself. Flee the things that contaminate your soul and pursue that which is honorable so that you can be a clean vessel ready to be used by the master of the house whenever most needed. And who will more likely be used by God that way to cut through the noise of our times so that people can hear the truth? The ugly, angry, hypocritical person who claims to be a Christian or the true follower of Jesus, who flees youthful passions and pursues righteousness, faith, love, and peace from a pure heart. There's an interesting story that was published in the Huffington Post about 10 years ago by a guy named Shane Windmeyer. He was the executive director of Campus Pride, a nationally recognized leader in the gay rights movement. And the piece that he wrote had the title, Dan and Me, my coming out as a friend of Dan Cathy and Chick-fil-A. Winmeyer began the article by saying, I spent New Year's Eve at the red-blooded all-American epicenter of college football at the Chick-fil-A Bowl next to Dan Cathy as his personal guest. It was amongst the most unexpected moments of my life. Winmeyer continued, yes, after months of personal phone calls, text messages, and in-person meetings, I am coming out in a new way as a friend of Chick-fil-A's president and COO, Dan Cathy. 
and I'm nervous about it. I have come to know him and Chick-fil-A in ways I would not have thought possible when I first started hearing from LGBT students about their concerns over the chicken chain's giving practices. Later in his column, Winmeyer wrote, like most LGBT people, I was provoked by Dan's public opposition to marriage equality and his company's problematic giving history. I had the background and history on him. I knew this character. No way did he know me. That was my view, but it was flawed. In his column, Winmeyer wrote about how Dan Cathy had reached out to him initially through a phone call and showed sincere interest in him as a person. The president of Chick-fil-A treated him with dignity and respect. It led to much dialogue and finally an invitation to watch the Chick-fil-A bowl from Kathy's box. At one point in his column, Winmeyer wrote, in many ways, getting to know Dan better has reminded me of my relationship with my uncle who is a pastor at a Pentecostal church. When I came out as openly gay in college, I was aware that his religious views were not supportive of homosexuality but my personal relationship with my uncle reassured me of his love for me. See, a clean vessel ready for the master's use cuts through the noise that keeps people from Christ. It takes away the excuses of those who reject the gospel because the Christians they know are so mean and ugly and hypocritical. Sometimes all it takes is for someone to see what a real Christian looks like for them to be willing to consider what Jesus has to offer them. I'm convinced that God wants to use us, his people, to cut through the noise of our times so that people can hear the truth. And Paul says, to do that, Timothy, you need to embrace three identities. Be an approved workman who handles scripture well. Be a clean vessel ready for the master's use. And then finally, be a good servant who can lead others to the truth. Be a good servant of Christ, a good ambassador of Christ, who can lead others to the truth. You know, I wonder if Hymenaeus and Philetus thought they were being good servants of Jesus when, when they did what they did. If I'm going to be a good servant of Christ, though, it's a good idea, isn't it, to ask the Lord himself what he wants me to do and how he wants me to go about doing it. I love the little story that Alan Fadling tells, a little parable that goes like this. There once was a king who had two servants, one of the servants, for fear of not pleasing his master, rose early each day to hurry along to do all the things that he believed the king wanted done. He didn't want to bother the king with questions about what the work was. Instead, he, humble, he hurried from project to project from early morning until late at night. The other servant was also eager to please his master and would rise early as well, but he took a few moments to go to the king and ask him about his wishes for the day and find out just what it was he desired to be done. Only after such consultation did this servant step out into the work of the day, work comprised of tasks and projects the king himself had expressed a desire for. The busy servant may have gotten a lot done by the time the inquiring servant even got started in his work, but which of them was doing the will of the master and pleasing him? The truth is that some people think they're serving God, but they're doing more damage than good because they haven't stopped to ask the master what he really wants of them. They charge off fighting battles that God never asked them to fight. They stir up controversies and quarrels that do more damage than good. But Paul says, here's what God wants from his servants. Verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. There it is again. It keeps coming back. 
have nothing to do with these foolish things. Guys like Hymenaeus and Philetus who stir up controversies and breed quarrels serve themselves and harm others by confusing the gospel and calling into question the teaching of the apostles. But a true servant of Christ, a good ambassador of Jesus, is going to go about his duties in a very different way, not quarreling and stirring things up and leading people astray. He says in verse 24, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Instead of being quarrelsome, a good servant of Jesus, somebody who represents Jesus well is going to be kind to everyone. Instead of lashing out in anger, he'll respond with constructive gentleness. Instead of blasting and condemning the other side, he treats people with dignity and respect. Instead of writing off those he disagrees with, he engages them and says things like, hey, tell me your story. He's able to teach because he's a workman who rightly handles the word of truth, able to accurately instruct others in what the Bible actually teaches. And then he patiently endures because some people aren't going to like what the Bible teaches. And, and when somebody violently reacts to what the Bible teaches and attacks him for being a hater or a fascist, he doesn't fight back, but rather prays for those who are blinded to the truth and see him as the enemy. Instead of trying to win the argument in a mean-spirited way, the servant of Jesus corrects those who oppose him with gentleness. If you want to be a good servant, a good ambassador of Jesus, don't take your cues from some of the attack dog apologists you sometimes see on social media. Take your cues instead from the gospel. And look how Jesus dealt with people, engaging them in conversation, pointing them to the truth in a way that communicated he loved and cared for the, the, the person in front of him, and only going on attack when religious people accused him of doing it all wrong. Paul says, this is your best chance of cutting through the noise of our time and helping people find the truth. Embrace the identity of a good servant of Jesus Christ, one who is kind and gentle, patient, but knowledgeable. So that, he says, verse 25, so that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And notice that it's it's God who grants the repentance. We can't do that. Only God can bring repentance into somebody's heart and mind. Only God can get them turned around. But oftentimes, he wants to work through us, his servants, that God may grant them repentance leading to knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. It's God who works through us to bring people to a knowledge of the truth. The truth being that we're all sinners who have offended a holy God. And we can't save ourselves. But God loved us so much that he didn't want to leave us in that condition, but rather sent his eternal son, whose life was of infinite worth, into this world to become a man so he could represent humanity. And that son, whose life was of infinite worth, was nailed to a Roman cross, mainly out of jealousy of, of the religious leaders of the day. He didn't have to go to that cross, but he went willingly. He paid the price of our sin that we couldn't pay by giving his life of infinite worth as the only satisfactory payment for the sins of all mankind. They put him in a stone-cold tomb, 
but on the third day, God raised him in victory from the dead. And it's by virtue of his resurrection that he's able to offer not only the forgiveness of sins, but eternal life and a right relationship with God here and now to all who believe in his name. Paul says, your best chance of, of being used of God to bring somebody to a knowledge of the truth that way is by being a good servant, a good representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what an amazing thing it is when God chooses to work through you to bring repentance to somebody's heart and mind, and you can see the lights start coming on, and they begin to get it, and, and they get set free from patterns of thinking and acting that Satan has been using to hold them in bondage. And after years of bondage, they begin to experience what it means to be truly free in Christ. I'm convinced that God wants to use us, his people, to cut through the noise of our time so that people can get to know Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And if we're going to be used that way, we must be approved workmen, rightly handling the word of truth, clean vessels, ready for the master to use, good servants who look and act a lot like Jesus himself. You know, I think a lot of Christians these days are only adding to the noise and the mean-spirited vitriol of our times. What this moment in our cultural calls for is more Christ followers, genuine followers of Jesus who look and act and talk a lot like him. May that be us as we go out into the world this week to represent the Savior we love. Let's pray. Father, these are noisy and confusing times. And if we listen too much to the, the quarreling of the world around us, it can become really bewildering. So, Lord, I pray, help us to stay centered on your word. May we be people who rightly handle the word of truth. May we be clean vessels ready to be used by you, Lord Jesus, at any given moment whenever called upon, and may we be good servants who, who represent the Lord Jesus well. Lord, I pray that as we go out into this new week, we may take these words to heart and, and live them out in our experience so that when people see us, when they hear us talking, they get a glimpse of Jesus himself. And may they be drawn to our Savior, who we love, who we follow, and in whose name we pray, amen.